And welcome to episode 122 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm your host, Ben Moss Woodward, otherwise known as Commander Edelweiss, and joining me in the Orange Sidewinder for this episode we have Commander Phoenix to Fire, otherwise known as Colin Ford. Good evening, everybody. And the technical genius that he is, Commander Thane, Christopher Jarvis. Yeah, thank you. you Actually, when you were saying your own name for a minute there, you actually stumbled on it a bit. Like, you couldn't quite remember what your name was. Like, you went, I'm Ben Mosswood Ward? Like, you were questioning how you said your name. I was quite entertained by that. It's good to question oneself, isn't it? (laughs) I should have questioned my setup. So, the the moral of tonight's story, the moral of tonight's story is that I I am not enjoying my upgrade to Windows 10. Um, (laughs) The... The biggest problem I had was the deadline for upgrading to Windows 10 was the day before I went on holiday for three weeks. So I didn't have very long to trial Windows 10 before I ran out of the rollback period. And unfortunately, I wanted to roll back the day after the window closed on me. Um, So I am now stuck with Windows 10 and having to learn to live with it, Um, which is a shame because I am hating every last bite of it. Yeah, it does seem to be a bit of a challenge, doesn't it? Anyway, ignoring Windows 10, we have also squeezed in some other lovely fine fellows who know what the heck they're talking about. Joining us from the Paladin Consortium, we have got Nyatra. Hi, that's very generous of you. (laughs) And doing a load of research, we've got Ethereal. Hi there, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you very much. Right, well, Chris, you've already told us about your upgrades to Windows 10 and things like that. Why don't you tell us about other things you've been doing in your life? What have I been doing? I've been having a lot of fun, um, even though it's a bit time-consuming, um, doing creating product um, prototypes. Because I've obviously I've been trying to sort out the sort of tying up some of the rest of the bits for the Chaos Reborn Kickstarter. Um, so I have been creating CD cases. So I have been printing out my CD art onto paper and folding it and cutting it and slipping it into any spare CD cases I have just to check that it works. And it's uh, this is not a good week for me demonstrating my competence because one of the reasons I was glad I did a prototype was when I printed it out, I discovered that the front cover of the CD case I'd actually got in my head the wrong way round. So hmm. the bit... So what I had was I had the CD cover and then to the right of it I had what was meant to be the back page of the booklet and then when I printed it out I was like oh this doesn't fold in the right direction and then I realised that of course the back cover is to the left of the front cover which you would think after all these years I would have remembered Um, but for some reason when I was in Photoshop compositing it all together that just went out of my head but yeah so I've been cutting and pasting and sticking and uh, I'm pretty happy with the way it looks so I'm looking forward to getting those orders in um what else have I been doing? I've been sorting out Escape Velocity, getting that ready for release. I 
I almost have a date for you. I've given a date to my Patreon supporters and told them not to tell anyone about it because I'm not sure it's definitely going to happen on that date. Um, but it's the date that I'm working towards. Um, and for those who are for those who are Patreon backers, and maybe if you're listening and you haven't read the updates, um, I'm going to be doing a stream this Sunday night at nine o'clock, which will be a kind of creative stream um, showing a kind of editing of a fairly non-spoilery scene. So I'm going to do a live edit you know in front of the my backer audience and i'll probably be answering some questions and chatting with whoever's in chat uh, at the time so that's that's what i've been working on and what about your badges that you've been doing for chaos reborn because I, oh. I got a nice little email saying dear ben you need to tell chris what kind of badge you're wanting yeah, yeah we've got the three badge designs people i'm just the surveys are out with the kickstarter backers um i've had about half of them respond uh, which is pretty good in 24 hours um, so hopefully over the next couple of weeks we'll get the rest of everybody's surveys in um, and really it's just a case of I mean those designs are the designs and once people have made their choices I'll look at how many there are of each and we'll put a um, you know we'll put, I'll put an order in and those will be ready to go out with people's physical rewards which is very exciting Huzzah oh, I, I know I'll be looking forward to adding a badge to my collection of things Absolutely well, I've lost a lot of my favourite badges but these will make up for it. Indeed. And what about yourself, Colin? How's things been going with you? I know you were due to be upgrading a graphics card, if I remember correctly. Well, unfortunately, I haven't had time. Um, today has been my first day at a new job, personally. So it's been a hot lot of preparation for that. And uh, in the wonderful world of Elite, well, unfortunately... Um, well, actually, not unfortunately. I took part in the... Um, Imperial building ships goal, and two two trips to the T9 later, I am a very, very rich person. So I I'm, I'm quite m- happy about that. We might be covering this a little bit later on if we've got time. If we've got time. It's been yeah. a big day today. It has been a it's, Yes, it has been a little bit of a big day, and there's a wee bit of news, which very nicely <laughs> segues into why Neatra and Ethereal are here, so... Uh, Natra first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in Elite, how you got started with the game and everything like that? Oh, you didn't prepare me for that question. Um, <laughs> well, uh, what have I been doing in Elite? Um, basically, I've started playing Elite since uh, over, way over a year. started pretty much pretty quickly after the release and uh, have found my way into Paladin Consortium five months ago, maybe? Not sure. It's been quite a while now. And, uh, yeah... I've ranked up rather quickly with them, just being the guy I am. A complete arsehole, that is. Just kidding. Um, yeah, basically, uh, we are doing what Paladins do. We try to protect the new base, uh, try to help out where we can, and uh, try to have fun in the game. And That's what pretty about much you? my summary. <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, is this is Elite Dangerous your first journey into the Elite universe, or did you play yes, classical Elite or anything? Young. I'm way too young to have experienced any other Elite games before that. Uh, oh, bless. Digitary once said his socks were older than me, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a statement there. That's, that's quite a disturbing statement. And <laughs> if it's anything to do with how long I keep socks, or it's quite possibly accurate as well. <laughs> and what about yourself, Ethereal? Well, um, I've been playing since about, I want to say, November of last year, about Thanksgiving, I picked it up, and 
and uh, I got myself established. I did a lot of trading, and then I think maybe about May or so, I fell in with the uh, with the Paladins. Uh, you know, I kind of was inspired because a friend of mine, when I first started playing the game, he uh, he basically plucked me out of my spawn point and showed me the ropes. So I kind of wanted to do that with Paladins, and yeah, I, that's basically what I've been doing since. And are you as similarly young as as Natra, or did you play Frontier? Frontier? No. Did, yes. Did you play Frontier or Elite on the on the BBC or something like that? Yeah, unfortunately, I I haven't been privileged enough to uh, to be able to pick those games up. I'm in a similar boat as Neatra. Yeah, yeah, kill. Cool. Oh, it's, it's... Oh, these okay. youngsters. These youngsters. Oh. No. <laughs> I actually, I, I want to, you know, I'm, I want to actually ask, you know, as slightly younger than the eighty fours, at least that most of us are. Yeah, you know, how are you finding Elite Dangerous as a game? Obviously, you're enjoying it, but yeah, you know, what about it? Yeah, that's, a really, that's a really old man question to ask. He is an old man, but we are old men. <laughs> well, if I may start, the uh, um, Elite Dangerous for me is a game that I've fallen in love with completely. Uh, just from the way that everybody can just pretty much choose whatever they want to be a role. Even STC and all the other griefer groups chose a path. And although I don't really like the path they chose, I can actually be able, first of all, to fight them. And secondly, it's just a way to play the game, you know? Uh, one of us goes away trading, the other flies out in a sidewinder, explore, exploring half his life, and the other just goes into bounty, uh, into combat zones, or in does bounty hunting, you know? It's just a way to play a game, and that's wonderful to have such a uh, sandboxy game where you can pretty much do anything you want. So can I just jump in? Um, uh, sorry, it's a really weird question, but how old are you guys? <laughs> I'm, I'm coming to the reason why. Uh, Twenty in uh, two okay. weeks. Oh, good grief! I know. And <laughs> I'll be uh, I'll be 28 in December. Oh, 20, okay, so you're a bit older. So, because one of the things with me about Elite Dangerous that I love kind of more than a lot of the other you know kind of space games that that are or have been around, I really like the fact that it's a game that supports joysticks and I really like sitting down and actually flying a ship with a real joystick. Now I'm not doing down anybody that wants to play Elite Dangerous using, you know, a controller or, or a mouse and keyboard, but for me that feeling of Elite actually being a kind of flight simulator with a sci-fi overtone, f- for me that's the core of my kind of love for Elite Dangerous. But I'm wondering if you guys, like like particularly you, because you're you're 20 and I know there haven't been a lot of joystick driven games, had you, uh, you know, was it, is a joystick a controller that you have any kind of attachment to or affinity with? Or is it something oh. that's kind of a bit more old school? Let's put it that way. At the moment, uh, I lack the funds to be actually able to afford a real setup. So I'm at the moment playing uh, on a laptop as well with mouse and keyboard. But uh, well. yeah, I would appreciate just at least trying it with uh, joystick, with VR and... Uh, also with uh, the voice attack. Yeah, yeah. And, that, no, and that's fair. And I'm just wondering, like I say, only just because you are a bit younger, the games that have been produced for the last, let's say, 15 years have not been games necessarily that have supported joysticks. Whereas for, for people who are over kind of, I guess, 30, um, 
the joystick was the only controller you had for a computer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We didn't have joypads until kind of, I suppose there was the SNES and the Mega Drive, and then, you know, they became more of a popular controller. But it, it's just something that interests me, because I love the fact that Elite Dangerous um, supports joysticks. And one of the things that's kept me away from No Man's Sky, and I swear to God this isn't going to turn into a No Man's Sky magic <laughs> show, um, but it's, it's the, when I discovered that actually there is no joystick support, I, again, I had to think, do I want to play a space game where I can't fly the ship using a joystick? And for me, it's a real switch off. Um, I just, I'm just curious about it. Um, so, yeah. I'll leave it there. Yep. Anyway, now that we've totally and utterly made ourselves feel really, really old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> yes, get off my lawn. <laughs> Should we get into the development news? And unless I've been blind over the past few days, I don't actually think after the massive amount of news that came out the last week, like at Gamescom, there hasn't really been any development development news that I'm aware of. Unless anyone yeah. can, can no. fix me on that. No, I, I suspect Frontier are having a, a, a quite rightly earned quiet week. Yeah, and you know, the newsletter. Yeah, although working on two point two as well. So oh, I'm sure, sure I'm they're sure having they a very busy yeah. week. Yeah, <laughs> they're just not talking. I think the marketing it. department's having a bit of a rest. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and again, in the newsletter, there was no real development news. There was stuff about the message and that, but they were going to cover that because that's why Niatra and Ethereal are here on are here. So there was stuff about that that they mentioned, and there was a nice little tip-off about, well, about something singing to people, where we had a crew log saying, I don't know what happened, I must have blacked out. The last thing I remember was jumping out of, what was the name of the system? I remember a calm voice. Or maybe it was a song. Maybe I'm just going crazy. The rescue beacon is up, and hopefully a ship will pick me up in a few days. So... Yet more things about something singing to commanders in the night. Or is that too much Levy and Brandy? <laughs> or possibly too much Levy and Brandy. Um, but that, that was really the only thing in the newsletter that kind of grabbed me. Um, I, th- I think yeah, there's, there's still... a collection of pretty pictures. Yeah, I think there's still a lot to go. I, I kind of maintain the fact that, because obviously we had Sandy and Zach on last week, and we kind of wanted mm-hmm. to make the most of them. We've actually been over the kind of news about um, 2.2, I think, quite quickly. I think there's a lot of detail there that we can go into, but I think I think at this point yeah. we'll probably wait for beta to drop, and then we'll talk about it when we've actually got... Because at the moment we're just talking about a kind of, you know, a bullet list of... Um, uh, features and I think once we've actually got the beat in front of us, there'll be I think there'll be a lot to talk about in terms of the development of the game. Yeah, I mean, there's, there has been a heck of a lot of drama going on in the forums, for example, about the instant transfer and things like that. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's but, interesting to it's interesting to reflect on that. I mean, if it's kind of centred around there's one particular poll on the forums that is mm-hmm. that's obviously gathered. I think there's been about two thousand respondents to it or something, which is you know which is a lot. Um, so just to kind of sum it up for people that, that maybe don't strain near the forums too much anymore um, on this particular poll those in favour of having ship transfer as a feature versus those that don't want ship transfer at all is like 
it's like 95% to 5%. People people want ship transfer. What's more interesting is the choices around how much time people think it should take. Um, and at the moment, it actually, there's, there's four different options. There's um, instant ship transfer, slight delay ship transfer, long delay ship transfer, and real-time ship transfer. And um, between those four options, it's actually pretty much evenly it's, it's evenly spread. But what that means is that actually 75% of the people responding are in favour of some sort of delay. Um, but having we were having a chat on the Lave Radio page with someone that was... Because someone had messaged us and said, well, we're all agreed that this instant transfer thing is rubbish, right? And a couple of us uh-huh. from Lave Radio kind of went on and said, I don't think we're all agreed that instant transfer is rubbish. But it got me thinking about the fact that from a designer's point of view, because Elite is happens in its own real time. So, for example, when you get a mission and it says you've got, well, now it just says you've got 24 hours to complete it. But if you log out, that 24 hours carries on. So there is a concept in the game that time carries on even when you're not actually logged in and kind of sitting in your ship. So from a design point of view, if you say we're going to transfer ships and we're going to impose a delay... All that will happen is people will request their ships and then log out and come back later when the ships have arrived. And actually, from a gameplay design point of view, you don't want to introduce a feature that encourages your users to log out because the thing they're going to, what they want to do, is going to happen offline. That's a very, well, that's a very bad gameplay decision. Um, yeah. Well, the thing that I think that people have a problem with actually is not the fact that um, it's an instant transfer; it's whether or not the ship can actually could actually make it. Because there, there does seem to be a feeling that, um, say, for instance, uh, you've gone and tripped out your Ferdelance, and as we all know, the Ferdelance is quite power-hungry, so you cut down on the FDL, which means that, technically, it wouldn't be able to go to the place that you have transferred it to. Yeah, yeah, and, and that would give you an unfair advantage when, it, when your Ferdelance actually arrived, mostly from people who play PvP. This must be um, this must be pointed out. I think most of the complaints I've seen have been from people from PvP who are scared that all of a sudden one person from uh, the code will fly all the way out to Jacks in a in a souped-up sidewinder and then bring the whole lot with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think that is a genuine. Uh, I think that's a genuine problem. Um, uh, so, sorry, Twitch is saying that the streams died. Um, oh, hang on. I can still hear you though, so it can't be your internet. Um, well, no, the, 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 the stream seems to be still running, I'm afraid, folks. Okay. Um, hang on a sec. It all um, depends on whether or not you can hear me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, no, I mean, I, I don't think we want to necessarily get into ship transfer again this week, but I just think there's some, there's some kind of wrinkles to delay of transfer, um, which, are, which are more than necessarily just about you sitting there and how quickly you get your ship. There are other issues around if you're making people wait for something then actually potentially they're just going to log out and let it happen when they're offline, which actually doesn't really add anything to the game. And if anything, like ah. you say, you're, you're encouraging people to log out and do something else while you wait for your ship. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think Nyatra wanted to have... Some, yeah. 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 Go um, on, Nyatra. I, I can just uh, give a perfect example of uh, such a case where the instant ship transfers uh, not really good gameplay decision. Now, I've got a federal corvette ditched out to protect Paladin Consortium in LFT 3.7. Now, this corvette doesn't even carry a fuel scoop because the only purpose is to protect this system and the surrounding ones. Now, uh, let's have what we had over 
now the past week, we have had several community goals all over the bubble. What I could then do with instant ship transfer is I can take my ASP, which nearly makes 50 light years, can jump in two or three jumps to the community goal, get my Corvette, which couldn't even make it there because it doesn't even have a fuel scoop, and then could shoot people to bits like I do with, uh, for example, NPC Corvettes or whatever ship that comes around. I can just blow it to bits. Now, I couldn't make that if I flew over there on my own because I needed at least one ship refueling me constantly. I did that uh, with the engineers, and it took four hours to get from uh, LFT-37 to another another engineer and to one other. So that wouldn't be possible if there was no instant ship transfer. So, I mean, just wondering, actually, where do you fall in the scheme of instant ship transfers? Would you would you like it to be in... Are you for ship transfers in general, Natra? Yes, I am for ship transfers. That's a feature that the game definitely needs. But I don't appreciate it being completely instant. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't like it... Look, I, I wouldn't like it if it took four or five hours to get a ship somewhere. Uh, it would be very easy to just say, all right, there's carrier ships. You don't have to put them in instantly, but there is carrier ships, and they get your ship from A to B, and they uh, cost a fee, and that's done. They have got incredible jump range, and done. Yeah, it's very similar to the idea that I was proposing on oh, on one of the forum threads about carriers. Because I think we'd all... Oh, I don't know about you guys, but I would far prefer a carrier carrying me around or carrying my ships around as opposed to my dirty laundry and everything like that being 3D printed alongside the rest of my ship. Because, you know, it's my ship, damn it, not some 3D printing of my copy of my ship. I think the biggest issue with the 3D printing is that everything from the engineers to different outfitting at stations to different shipyards at, at stations doesn't make any sense anymore. Because it, yeah. if you've got a gigantic 3D printer, I could just uh, print a Corvette with grade 5 mods in uh, and pay like 1 billion, but I could well, have it indeed. without modding, without grinding, without anything. Yeah. No, and I'm completely with you. I think it it should be, in my opinion, it should be a fleet of ships carrying everything around. But yeah. we will see what the official reason is when it comes out. See, this is, you know, this, this, this is my issue. It's another one of these things where a really great game design has been broken by the need to implement multiplayer. If you all just played these things offline mm-hmm. and on your own, you know, these problems wouldn't occur. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. If it were offline, then... Well, if it's just your own game... Be... If it's just your yeah. own game, then you can't break anyone else's game by playing it, if you see what I mean. Um, no, that is very true. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being flippant, obviously. You know, we're, we're embracing the multiplayer future of, of, of gaming in Elite <laughs> Dangerous. Yes. Um, but it does, you know, there are an awful lot of things that um, you, you would try and implement in a game, which then when you try and think about implementing them for everybody... Actually, then that idea is suddenly broken. And I think really it's down to probably the people who are, I don't know, maybe opposed to instant ship transfer to get into beta and prove how broken they think it is. Because people are thinking that it's that it's really going to break the kind of PvP meta. Um, and I think beta is your chance to... Pr- I think if there's going to be a change to it, better that the problem is demonstrated in beta and, and Frontier have a chance to kind of rethink it than to actually wait for it to go live because then it's going to be ages before the problem gets fixed. I do think it's going to be very interesting with Niatra being able to take a super ship around everywhere. Yeah. And that's, you know, um, yeah. 
And I think that if it was, if it were flying into some kind of fleet ship, that gives an excuse why it can't, why it can get somewhere that it can't actually get to as well. Yeah, and I um, think that's, I think that's a valid, I think that's a valid issue. Um, but anyway, I think you know, we're not really going to be covering. It's time to move on. Uh, instant ship transfer to <laughs> yeah. Unless anybody else has got anything quick they want to add to it. There's, no, there's like, no, there's no, like no. 600 pages of comments on it. I don't think anyone's got anything yeah. to add to it at this point. <laughs> All right. In that case, then, let's get into the main discussion for this evening and the whole reason why Ethereal and Natura are here this evening, where during the Gamescom stream, we had a whole load of almost subliminal messaging coming from Frontier, where we saw little flashes of what turned out to be ASCII text displayed to us, which was eventually translated to say, we found something, something incredible, something the whole galaxy will want to see, the truth. The truth, we could show it to you, but it wouldn't be so much fun. Wouldn't be so much fun. So instead, we're going to play a little game. To find us, look for a bounty hunter. To find more clues, you need to find, you'll need pre-logistic support in a system with one star, two belts, three rings, and enough radiation to turn you green. The hunt begins on the 28th. So, everybody obviously assumed that that meant that something was happening somewhere on the 28th of this month. And I think I'm tempted to turn it over to the guy from the Paladin Consortium to tell us what the heck actually happened. Just just quickly then, in that clue, that... that re- um hint about enough radiation to turn you green i'd seen a comment saying that was you know identified as being gamma radiation is that a deliberate incredible hulk reference or is that just because of my lack of knowledge of gamma radiation <laughs> no i think it's nothing to do with the incredible hulk i, I don't think anyone of us can actually answer that here <laughs> i mean i'm not frontier am i <laughs> yeah. it's something to store up to the mr brooks i think <laughs> It was the first thing that occurred to me was, well, hang on, if it's radiation turns you green... <laughs> hey. Anyway, Natra and Ethereal, why don't you tell us what's... what? Oh, how did we figure out from that clue as to where it actually were? Ethereal, you want to go ahead? Uh, sure, I can do that. Uh, let's see. So, basically, that, that bit about the, uh, the pre-logistic support enough radiation to turn you green. They pretty much narrowed it down to an outpost out in the Pleiades Nebula area called uh, Pre-Logistic Support Gamma, the gamma radiation part. And then from there, they got some other messages in different formats. You got one that was binary, and then you got some that are Roman numerals, and they... uh, they translated it through different uh, different formats, and each one of them had a clue to find the next little bit. It was like a trail of clues, basically. Treasure hunt, then. Mm-hmm. And from there, they were able to get some other bits and messages, uh, all pointing to a couple of systems that were going to have some activity on the 28th. And this pretty much... From there, and this is this is basically happening like a day or two beforehand, and then on the twenty eighth, oh, the clues right here. Okay, I got it. Sorry, 
So we got... Neatri, you want to go ahead for a sec? Uh, yeah, basically on the 28th, uh, the whole hunt started. Actually, I think it was already on the 27th. I can't remember right now. It's been already a few days, and uh, the long, long days as well. Uh, so basically, we many, many commanders just uh, piled into different systems. So there were nine clues found, I believe it was. Nine different messages, uh, as Ithriel already stated. So, And all of these had were... were, uh, were partially translated so you had one text which lead, uh, led you to the next clue and you always had one uh, uh, ciphered message and that deciphered gave us nine clues which then ended up in the hunt we had on the 28th right so that's the clues I think Ethereal tries to find at the moment <laughs> yeah I'm having a hard time looking for them. Okay, so were all these relatively simple to decipher? Like, for example, it was blatantly obvious to anyone who's seen ASCII that these ASCII in a binary form that this was was ASCII text that was displayed on the during the stream. Were they that kind of level of clues, or were they yes, almost no. as hard as the, as some of the the stuff hidden in Wayne forms, where we're still trying to figure out what that pizza box slicer means? Yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them were, I think just plainly binary, as far as I remember. And uh, there was one, I think it was the sixth message, that couldn't have been deciphered until a few hours later. Someone uh, finally had the correct idea and found the correct code word, just toyed around and finally broke it. So, uh, And, uh, of course, all of these um, didn't actually give us any answers, but it was another uh, treasure hunt in the end. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm assuming that a... Bounty hunter or someone eventually, once you figured out all these things, a bounty hunter or something showed up in game, or what happened there? Well, the first clue, uh, the first or three of the clues, it would be easier if I had them there. Um, basically, it was nine clues stating that uh, there were three ships, three different colors at three different times in uh, three different systems. Now, I'm not sure if that was a mistake by Frontier, or if it was a mistake <laughs> from our side. But um, one of the ships showed up in a completely wrong system. Oops. And one of the times were missing. So they in they quickly uh, corrected that by just putting a fish community goal, which couldn't have been completed in Maya, to actually give us the full, <laughs> uh, the full message, uh, which then told us that at the <laughs> 1500, there would be a yellow asp in uh, one of the systems. Now, yeah. basically, we had it was a logic puzzle we had to solve. And it uh, stated that, first of all, there will be a uh, red T9 called... What's his name? Cole? Um, yeah, Cole. Yeah, that's, what, that's what it was. At 10.00 in uh, the system Kyle. And uh, he basically arrived there, I think, half an hour too early. Two commanders got to see him, and then our beloved friend, Harry Potter, on his magic broomstick, showed up <laughs> and uh, tore him apart. Well, that was the end of uh, Cole. <laughs> R.I.P. Cole yeah pretty much uh, gladly those two commanders didn't keep the clue to themselves and uh, shared it on the yeah. internet so I mean, was, I'm was, just thinking about just thinking about the way that this goes in with Drew's story so you know we have Cole showing up two commanders meeting him and getting his word out and then Cole gets murdered by the by the smiling dog crew 
sounds like an actually, you know, pretty exciting bit of, cha- bit of storytelling <laughs> telling for Drew there, maybe. You love that. <laughs> that yeah, it's a complete sucky manoeuvre for, for everyone else, but it's potentially fun for him. Yeah, well... Let's yeah. talk about that the better, I think. Mind you, wasn't there a little bit of controversy because the, the call himself was actually carrying fish and his, his um, ship was red, so everyone thought, hang on a second, that must be a red herring. A red herring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were lots of jokes uh, being thrown around, especially because Harry Potter killed him and he didn't came back, so he didn't come back. So at uh, the actual time when he should have been there, the uh, instances were flooded with commanders asking, where is that red trader? No one has seen him. Until finally, uh, oh, <laughs> the clues popped up that he has been already killed. And with everyone being, of course, sad uh, about it. So the whole issue with that was that um, the Red Trader was, I think, pulled out of Super Cruise the first time by the two commanders. Sadly, I can't remember the name. I'm sorry about that. Um, or the group, actually. And uh, he threw out a message in local chat. And... Uh, then he said something, if you want to know more, you have to um, get narcotics to the station here, which we have now seen uh, yesterday and today with the community goal, which we'll come to talk later, I guess. And uh, yeah, then the uh, second part of the logic puzzle led us to... Uh, that. That's where I think... I mean, I'm, I mean I've talked with Ethereal Fed amount of times about it, we think that there was some kind of mistake at some point from someone, right? Well, it wouldn't be the first time that something happened, then there was a slight faux pas with yeah. the community goals and the missions and things like that, so but as hard as Frontier try, they do seem to occasionally have little it mistakes. It happens. Every, yeah. Everywhere it happens mistakes. Uh, so, basically, someone has found the yellow asp um, called Dylan, I think, was... Um, in uh, Pademak, mm-hmm. uh, where there is now another community goal going on, and uh, that one has not been killed, gladly. And they threw out another clue, and uh, said that there should be carried tobacco towards the station there. And then the third one was a uh, white sidewinder, and, uh, which again put out a clue to carry Lavian Brandy to the station in uh Whatever system there was. Hang on, let me, let me have a look. <laughs> the names. That's interesting. I thought Lave was, under, was being attacked by unknown artifacts at the moment. So I'm guessing that the... Not, not the outfitting, the um, commodities market is still up and running then. It was not the last time I've been there. Now, the community goal is in Mazajitai, or whatever you would pronounce that. Yeah. And you have to carry a, I think... 500,000 tons of Lavian brandy there. Um, Well, the Frontier have stated that these three community goals could be disrupted and by (laughs) unknown artifacts, by uh, different system states, etc, etc. So that's a good possibility that someone is uh, UA bombing Lave at the moment to not have the possibility of actually getting Lavian brandy. Yeah. Um... And yeah. so I know, obviously, that these clues are still ongoing and the community goals are still ongoing. Um, they're the only ones that we've got so far, I'm assuming. Uh, the clues or the community goals? All, both. Oh. So they're the only community goals pointing to where we should be able to find whatever it is we're going to find. 
Yes. Yeah. And obviously, it has been found now, and the forums have totally exploded with that. So you know, it was actually found sometime this afternoon, I think around about 2 o'clock or so this afternoon, by Commander uh, Noctrack, or however you pronounce his name. That sounds about right, yes. Yep. And I think it was around about 2 o'clock this afternoon that he found it. But have you got any idea... You know, obviously all the clues are not out. Did he just kind of stumble across it, or do you know if he, if there's any way, how he, how it was found, or are you not sure? Here, you want to go ahead on that? As far as how he specifically found it, I'm not entirely sure, because there, I'm guessing, were some mistakes with, uh, with, like, figuring out the coordinates. As a matter of fact, it could very well have just been dumb luck. But when this clue was dropped this morning, after this first CG, well, it was, it was morning for me anyway. But when the clue was dropped this morning, after the first uh, the first CG, it basically stated that it was going to be on a planet with a latitude. I think it was a latitude of negative twenty six in the Pleiades, with the name beginning AB. And I did a little search, and there were only like I think what eight or nine systems that were like that. And then I thought back about some of like the other side clues, talking about like an icy moon and a binary pulsar system, and I kind of took some of the clues and threw them all together, and basically come to the conclusion that there were two 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 binary systems in that little vicinity that fall that fell under those criteria that could have possibly been there. So I went out, I scanned the four of them. And the last one had the single M class, 10 planets, one of which was an icy moon. So I started searching there, and I'm sure a bunch of other people started searching there, especially uh, you know, the boys from Canon. They just kind of went from there, and then when they found it, they announced it, and uh, I went there, and sure enough. And do you want to tell us what it is that's been found? What we found? It, yeah. Honestly... <laughs> It looks, I mean, it's it's wreckage, obviously. It's a, it's a bit of wreckage, and there's some speculation that it's, uh, it's a lot of speculation that it's some kind of ship. <laughs> yeah, it looks certainly like looks like some kind of ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> looks like a giant space crab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard of people <laughs> referring to it look, as looking like a crab. <laughs> it looks great. You have to check it out at some point. There's an obvious thing in the middle of it that's... Well, how many sizes that got? So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You know, there's an obvious eight-sided thing in there. Now, there's no sense of scale in this, so I don't know how how large is that eight-sided item in the middle. How large? It's gigantic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you know, comparing it say to the size of a it's of larger one of our than the from uh, okay. the area it occupies. Now, uh, as you already said, there is a large part in the middle, and yeah. that should be around the size of an asp, I believe. I don't know, Ethereal, yeah. can you quickly fire over there? Yeah, sure. Um, did the legs, or whatever you want to call it, legs, wings, parts... Yeah, the spines or something that coming out of it as it well. It looks like spines, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, they are gigantic as well so they are 
as large as an asp as well, so it's it's so this pretty thing's looking big. pretty big. And I mean, I guess it's, if I was to describe it, it's like it's the the image I'm seeing is it's a bit like a two dimensional flower. It's almost a bit like a rose, actually. If you just look at a rose coming out, and it looks like it's wanting to unfurl. Uh, oh, that that maybe that's just me. If it wasn't wrecked, I'd say I agree with you. Yeah, there we go. Ethereal is pretty much over it, and it's uh, yeah, it's pretty much the size of an asp. The middle part alone, a little bit yeah. bigger, maybe. And okay. um, yeah, so I've heard suspicions that it is supposed to be an uh, an alien scout vessel and that this what what you're looking at right now is an engine right so what this this thing in the middle is maybe an engine and then the the other parts are other components of it i'm guessing Cause it's, yes. i mean it's incredibly biological looking looks very organic, yeah, it does. Especially with the spine part. Yeah, and I mean, would you say the tech looks similar to that of the barnacles, or different? You know, I've never asked myself that. Cause, cause, you know, I'm looking at this image, and it looks... They're both biological, but this looks almost like bone. Um, Reminds me of Skyrim, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It's, it's, it is a bit like the dragon bones in Skyrim, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Now, from the uh, structure and the the color, I'd say it's not the same as the barnacles. To be honest, it, it looks different. It doesn't look as uh, tree-like, but more like uh, bone-like, as you already. Yeah, so yeah. I always felt the, the barnacles look very much like shells, if you ask me. Yeah, you know, like an outcrop of something. Yeah. Blue. Um, whereas this looks like something skeleton, frankly. It's definitely <laughs> a very interesting uh, it's structure. Very beautiful yeah. and very eloquent. The yeah. design. Not that. that. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get um, Chrome to go full screen and I can't remember what the button is. I thought it was F- uh, it is F11. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at some other different different views of it, and it's. Hang on, um, I can quickly throw you a link. Yeah, I've got a I've got a whole load of images myself, but uh, I've got a video everything. actually. Okay. Because I was so uh, happy to get to be one of the first to actually visit it, thanks to Ethereal. Uh, I was so lucky and uh, got a few. Got a few shots of it. Now, uh, you better turn off the uh, the sound. sound there because you'll hear Ethereal chatting to himself because <laughs> my mic wasn't recording at the time. <laughs> That's fair enough. Colin, thinks would you be able to display that? <laughs> He's just about to arrive in the system. All right. Okay, that's oh, 30 minutes. I think minutes it will be like 10 minutes or so until he arrives. Yeah, it's a 30-minute long video. Where about do we start seeing things? Uh, Very at the beginning, actually. If you okay, just so, yeah. Just a few seconds, then you should see something. My first approach of the. So I can see it's buried in the middle of a of a of a valley. Yes, it very comfortably landed right in a ravine, in a very broad one, but it's still. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's found a fairly flat area, but it is. 
whoever was in there probably didn't survive that, I'd say. I don't know, I mean, that's... If they were in that central passage, that's looking fairly intact. But still, leave alone the (laughs) G-forces. Give them some kind of padding and cushioning stuff and things like that, they could maybe, if they're in some kind of gel... I guess we'll see soon Maybe. enough if someone has survived and whoever it was. Yeah, yeah just wait for some... <laughs> I see somebody's driving over it. Yeah, that's it, Euro. All right, okay. Yeah. yeah we um, came we, and we used their ship as a, as a ramp. We came, we saw, and we used the ship as a ramp. Exactly. So the old Roman saying. <laughs> came all this way and we decided to use it as a ramp for like the Dukes of Hazard. Wonderful. Yeehaw! Well, at least he's not shooting it. I mean, that's always nice. Um, you you have a good point there, but now uh, people have already toyed around with it, of course, and uh, sadly, it's nothing at the moment we can interact with. Maybe that will change in the future with some patch. Maybe it won't. Um, at the moment, you can't target it, you can't scan it, you can't do anything about it. I tried at the very you beginning can't. to uh, play uh, scan on it. That didn't do anything. People started shooting it in. Uh, their SRVs and in normal ships it mm-hmm. didn't do anything as well as uh, the unknown probes someone I think TIIQ was that um, I, I was wondering if, if the unknown probes do anything with it yeah nope nothing so, so, so nothing's doing anything with nothing oh I see it's got like the, the things actually seem to grow out of it the, wing, the wings or whatever they are grow out of that central pod don't they sort of yeah if you remember the uh the video from Gamescom, where we got yes. that sneak peek. Yeah, where um, it starts going into the static. Yes. Uh, it looks kind of like that. If you just use yeah, your the use the force, like use that. the force, and uh, <laughs> turn it around in your head, and then you might be able to see similar structures. And uh, either that's just a lot bigger vessel, or... Uh, yeah. Well, we had no sense of scale, really, did we? Not really, no. We've got a Cobra, but that's very far away. Now, I'm also well, doing... I'm not allow, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to do that, but I'm just no-clipping through the floor here with the camera. <laughs> uh, it looks very interesting from the bottom as well. I know, I, I did some of that low-clipping with the barnacles and things like that when we were when I was investigating them, so... Yeah, and I, I, know, I noticed with the barnacles, when you came up in the middle of them, it looked so much like it was a wormhole effect if you looked straight up <laughs> through them. Yeah, it looks so much like we were sort of jumping into hyperspace kind of thing. <laughs> Space. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it has a very uh, insectoid structure as well. Like chitin, whatever you call it in English. So it looks a bit like a wasp's nest. So, so Flying wasp's yeah. nest. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what we call it now? The wasp nest of... Unidentified doom. flying wasp nest. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we're not saying it's a... Uh, Oh, uh, so swamp gas, gas or something like that. Weather balloon. <laughs> it's a weather balloon. It's a, yeah, obviously it's a weather balloon. Definitely. It's it's, it's, it's kind what, of round and stuff. It's a swamp gas that's reflecting off Uranus. And <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, that's a gag from Minute in Black. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, from your perspective of the of the law, Chris, what do you think about the way it's looking and yeah. I guess the, we were saying it's Thargoids, but maybe it isn't. 
Yeah, I had a brief moment of excitement looking at it because uh, the, the angle of the first image I saw of it, it actually looked more like a kind of robotic walker. And I thought, hey, cool, mm-hmm. is there some, going to be some sort of ground vehicle that's going to challenge us in our SOVs? And then I saw an image of it from another angle, and it didn't look like a walker at all, so I was very disappointed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, want your, you, want your, you want to nap that? Yeah, it was more of a kind of like weird gnarly alien Ed 209 thing I sort of had in mind. It looked it looked yeah. like it was fallen on its back, and those bits that were sticking up were kind of like I shin pads. You, I see where you're coming from, yeah. See where I'm going yeah. From? And, and there were a couple of things that looked like sort of arms that had fallen loose over the legs. But actually, if you look at it from a different angle, it doesn't look like a walker at all. So that's just me being hopeful. Um, in terms of the law, I don't know necessarily that I'm the best person to speak to about the law. Um mm. In terms of the, the obviously the look of it, obviously it looks very different to the Thargoids we've seen in previous games. But then, to be honest, all the ships in Elite Dangerous look very <laughs> different to what we've seen in previous games. So it's not yeah. really something you can judge on. I mean, we, we um, do have the eight sides of this central pod, and yeah. the Thargoids were infa- famous for being octagonal. Yeah, but... I think I think law-wise, there's a danger with Frontier. So not a danger with Frontier, a danger for Frontier. Because they've been a bit, you know, blowing hot and cold about Thargoids, um, you know, for the last little while. Maybe that's because they've been keeping it under their hat, or maybe it's because they wanted to introduce an alien that was nothing to do with Thargoids. Um, And I think that's dangerous. If you look at something like, uh, maybe, let me be a bit mean, something like Metal Gear Solid 2, um, when they kind of gave a teaser of the game and everyone thought oh Snake is coming back, Snake is coming back and when you actually played the game it turned out you were playing a completely new character that wasn't Mm. Snake and everyone was like who is this whiny blonde (laughs) mopped kid, we want Snake Plissken back kind of thing and there was kind of a fan reaction against it so my concern is that you know, my concern was at some point there was going to be a reveal where this isn't actually Thargoids, this is something completely different and that people would be a bit like why isn't it Thargoids um, yeah. Well, I think there's been enough. I think there's been enough with what they've been doing on Galnet with kind of reiterating some of the old Thargoid lore and explaining some of the events of like the stuff to do with Inra. And um, I don't know if that was actually a Frontier poster, if that was somebody else. But I don't imagine Frontier would have posted somebody else's stuff if that's not what they wanted to go out. Um, well, so they I are think, at least vetting these things, aren't they? Yeah, I think I think we can be pretty confident as confident as we can be that it's going to be Thargoid related. Well, uh, if you can remember, I think there was suspicion at the beginning that uh, the Barnacles and the UAs and the UPs were actually not from the same alien race. So it could still be because uh, Thargoids, as far as I remember and of what I read, they were hostile, in in a way at least, and uh, pretty superior. Now, uh, you can ask yourself, why would they toy with us like that? Wouldn't they just crush us, or would they just uh, come in and say, hi guys, it's us, you don't need to fear us, we are here on good terms. They wouldn't toy with us necessarily, so there's, I think there are still strong suggestions that there are two alien races, one of them actually helping us, the other one uh, trying to destroy us from inside or whatever. Because uh, also with the whole um, imperial plotline of Hengi Stuval being killed by... What's it called? M- Emperor's Dawn. Dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also a strong suggestion that there is a force working against humanity and uh, trying to get 
the Federals and the Imperials to fight each other. And now, why would these aliens not just swoop in if they've got superior technology, uh, superior knowledge of space, more forces, and, of course, the, uh, the strategic uh, superiority of surprise on their side? They would obliterate us. They, need, they, they don't have to play any games with us on the, uh, where to find me or something. You know what I mean? So, so I'm just well, the thing. Oh, so, sorry, Colin. The I've just seen the, um, the the images on your stream. If you can go back mm-hmm. to that that first thing you were looking at, the long thin thing, does that look to anyone else like a jawbone with teeth? Yes. Yeah, the same impression. Because <laughs> the thing is, I mean, obviously Michael Brooks is a huge part of writing the plot for um, uh, *It's Dangerous*. Michael does like his dragons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm wondering if this is going to be some sort of massive space dragon. And you like tentacles. Is, yeah, and this is the jawbone <laughs> or something like that. Um, yeah, al- <laughs> also, remember he likes his Call of Cthulhu as well, so this he, might be. Yeah. <laughs> there is that. It could, be, it could be an old one. Um, so, sorry, carry on, Colin. Well, what I was um, saying was that I, I'm trying to uh, drag up what I remember is that the reason that the Thargoids didn't wipe out humanity before was something along the lines that they, they seem to be involved in a lot of w- other wars and we were just a side distraction. And uh, I think I remember Mr. Brooks discussing that at one of our at the LeafCon panels. Yeah, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting take on it. The other thing that always fascinated me about the um, Thargoids was the, the, the descriptions of them that were there from something like the Dark Wheel. Um, and I know that Elite Dangerous obviously isn't sticking entirely to the complete, you know, back canon of what's going on. The thing that always struck me about the the Thargoids was the the way that they were described physically was a very violent sort of predatory insect-like creature. And I kind of couldn't, could never really, you know, get that straight in my head with the fact that they had advanced spacecraft. Because I was thinking, well, if they're largely insectoid and they don't have opposing thumbs and they have kind of, you know, sharp claws and stuff... Did they actually build their own ships, or is it kind of like the the whole uh, aliens thing, where there's this there's this very violent kind of creature, but actually it's in ships that have been built by somebody else? Oh, do you see what I'm saying? I, 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 do I feel a little bit of space racism here? <laughs> no, I just I, it's, it's not necessarily space racism. I'm just thinking that I mean, and, but that's that's presupposing that. Thargoids construct their ships the way we would understand ships to be constructed. Maybe they don't make their ships like that. Maybe their ships are grown organically, you well, know, and they don't have to have exactly. kind of fine motor skills for engineering. But that was back in the days before I'd heard of <laughs> back in the days before I'd heard of things like bioengineering and the concept of growing a ship. It always bothered me that the description of this Thargoid, I never understood how it could have built though that craft. But that's well, um, an aside. Trying, trying to get a uh, a good picture of that, like uh, the species eight four seven two, I think it was called in Star Trek. If any one yeah, of you remembers yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they grew or grow their ships organically as well, and uh, they look pretty much uh, like your description right now, at least from what I'm getting right now. Uh, some kind of insectoid, uh, organically grown. Of course, it got organically grown, but organically grown ships, um, also because that would be very valid in my head, uh, because nature does that anyway, doesn't it? 
the way wasps, for example, create the nests as well as a uh, bees yeah. and whichever uh, whichever insect, they've all got their very special skills. So, uh, according to physics, there is always the chance that you uh, that the galaxy is uh, being assembled and you wake up in a spaceship. You know, there's always that little percentage of a chance that that actually happens. So why not have uh, alien insectoids, which always were spacefaring? Yeah, some there kind of alien spacefaring critters. Yeah, that just always were, from the beginning when their race uh, actually developed, already were spacefaring. Yeah, like, I mean, like, like bees. I mean, bees are born into a hive. And yeah. the, the concept of building the hive is kind of a, a natural part of, of a bee's process. So, yeah, why not have something that lives in space and kind of builds these environments for them to live in that they can also move around space very efficiently? Um, Maybe not necessarily space, but you know, potentially I see as a, a more likely birthing ground for something maybe in in gas giants and things like that where they can potentially get into a vacuum but they've at least got nutrients and things like that to chew on as opposed to what you normally find in the vacuum yeah. well we do know we do know that the um, the ammonia worlds seem to be very very important to the Thargoids or we seem yeah. to be finding and space, and a lot space of clues that. Space, uh, space what? space lodges also seem to like ammonia worlds Oh, okay. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, at the moment, <laughs> Daddy Baddies just told me, oh, it looks like a soup dragon, so I'm off looking for clangers. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it just made me completely lose my point about what I was going to say as well. Um, we do know that basically most of the Thargoids are female, according oh. to Mr. Brooks. And also, doesn't wasn't there something about in, the, in Out of Darkness, um, which is supposed to be the elite novel, which covers the Thargoids, something about them having a hive mind? So you have a queen with a hive mind? and That's always can, been suspected, I believe, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, as far as the Thargoids are concerned, what we really know so far, that's if they are Thargoids, is that they like ammonia worlds, the insectoid, and they've got a hive mind, and they're space-born. We actually we do know one other thing, which is, cool. they can also create little AI robots called Doris. True, and also the, they've got the the Thoglets from the original game. I don't know whether or not we've seen anything like this yet. Well, for all we know, this scout ship is a Thoglet. No, isn't that scary? <laughs> this is the, the size of ship that would be launched from the mothership. Which means there must be a mothership around, right? <laughs> I, yes. kind of, I kind of want to see Galactus now. <laughs> I want to be taken off from a planet and just see like this, just his head coming over the horizon. No, I'm just think, I was thinking of go. oh, what was it again? Independence Day. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, in, in 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 Independence Day in the nineties. You know, we had this ship that was the size of a city, but in Independence Day 2, we had a ship that was basically the size of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Oh, why not? <laughs> and why? Oh, yeah, why? You know, why not? Indeed, I mean, in a lot of sci-fi, there are, yeah, you know, there are, for example. Well, 
for example, the Dyson theory, I'll think about the, the GSVs and the GCUs from the culture, which are easily 90 kilometers plus long. Which is still city-sized, I guess, but still. It's gigantic. Well, in space, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's all small anyway. Yeah. On the interstellar scale of things. <laughs> and particularly if the ships are grown, you know. It's not like you yeah. need to keep building it, you just keep feeding it abducted humans. Sorry, that's my space, <laughs> that's, that's my space racism flaring up again. That's, yeah, that uh, sounds like a, a very other game I know and just played. Thargoids <laughs> yeah. eat soil and green, do they? Oh, you beat me to it, you bugger. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, let's say, for sake of, sorry. let's say for sake of argument, the Thargoids grow their ships in the chronosphere of the sun. Practically unlimited energy to chew on and grow it as big as you want it. Om nom nom. <laughs> chronosphere. Or maybe a barnacle is basically a Thargoid ship under construction. Well, I've seen another um, another link to an image where somebody's basically pointed out maybe what we see as a barnacle is. A buried spaceship, a buried Thargoid spaceship. Um, I can send you that link if you want, Colin. Yeah, it's working on the B five theory, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, it's very similar to the shadows in the B five. Yeah, but so basically, you know, we see maybe the bottom of the ship, and then the wings are just the, the little tips that we get coming out are just the tips of the wings that we're seeing from the Thargoid ship, but. I don't think I don't think they are. They look too different. I think for them to be the same. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, you guys, you guys remember what the what the barnacles look like and things like that, obviously. So, I don't I don't think that their outer components didn't look like they were that bony, did they? <laughs> well. You know, you had you had the central mass, and then you had other things around around them, didn't you? Yeah, again, it looks the, the barnacle to me looks more like a tree, and that looks more like a bone or a dragon or something yeah. uh, insect to it, not 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 plant like barnacles. Especially had these little blobs on the side, which looked mm -hmm. like a some kind of lanterns or whatever, and uh, yeah. that's very very uh, plant like or tree like, if you want it, not yeah. very insect to it. Insectoids are known for having like very clear structures, I believe. Mm -hmm. I'm, ju I'm just talking crap here, probably. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> well, I wouldn't worry about it. We talk quite a lot of crap, really. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any thoughts on? You know, do you think that ethereal? Do you think that these barnacles could be in some way related to what we're seeing here, or do you think they're different? Well, I mean. I guess I think it's a fair possibility because, you know, considering the fact that they've been leading us on this little hunt for this particular thing, and considering all the other stuff going on in the Pleiades Nebula, and a lot yeah. of the stuff centered around the Pleiades Nebula. Yeah, I mean, this is all quite convenient for Maya. Exactly. Um. But that that would that would also be the case though if they were potentially opposing sides in in something, you know. And we did have 
you know, we we had Alien Race A and Alien Race B, who are both at it, as it were. You know, you'd expect to see them in each other's next to the wood, I'd assume. So, you know, doesn't just because we can see them both in the same place, I don't think necessarily would say that they're obviously the same thing, are they? I mean, it could be potentially a very, 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 very large battlefield. Yeah. Pleiades Nebula could just be like this huge extraterrestrial hotspot. Yeah. So Pleiades standoff. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh. the, the Pleiades War. <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> that sounds like a good book title. I think it's Commander Baddy Daddy is having a severe flashback to his uh, his childhood. He's now saying that he's expecting the barnacles to open like something can Campbellwood green and Thargoids <laughs> to come out. So, um, yeah, keep on taking the tablets, Mr. Baddy Daddy. I think you're going to need them. <laughs> I don't even know where... I... Yeah, I, I can... no, that's Trump with Pew Pew Bami McGrew. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure where he's going with that. He's on about that the barnacles will open like a flower, just like the the toy box used to open in that old TV show. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, I think we can recommend that he takes takes his keeps taking his medicine for that. And uh, now we know that Mike Brooks has confirmed that these are the items that we are looking for. And yeah. he's also confirmed that the community goals will keep on going. So even though we've found whatever this is, you know, whether it's Thargoids, whether it's something else, we're going to keep go- getting these games, these, com- these community goals and the additional clues just to, you know, basically why, why not? And I don't think there's any harm having them keeping going. But yeah. to be yeah, honest... He, he, yeah, go ahead. He said he just wanted to complete the roadmap to show how we got yeah. from point A to point B, yeah. which I think is good. I mean, you're not going to oh. wa- want to waste all that work anyway, are you? Well, I'm all for it. I mean, they've already basically thrown out all the work that was meant to be involved in finding shacks. So, you know, nah. let, let's allow their designers to keep having their community goals going out and... <laughs> Even though we know what it's pointing to, and it's it's all we can keep giving these smugglers drugs and things like that. Well, I think to be honest, that's what what you just referred to is why we just got two community goals. Because I was, yeah. uh, I think it was planned to have uh, one of them today, and when it completed, the next one. But as we already found it today, yep. I think that's why I just said, "All right, just give them both at the same time. It's fine." <laughs> Yeah, and, and it does sound like Mike's saying we'll let the story just ha- play out, and I I don't see any harm in that. I think it makes perfect sense, and it just lets us lets us all have a wee bit of fun. And I think that really commends him. We should commend yeah. him for that. That shows his character. And you know th- they had this game involved. And okay, so we've got off and done it to them again, and found these damn things before we were meant to. Darn it. Well, yeah. tough. You're still going to get to play the game. <laughs> um, well, anyway, uh, just uh, do you want to touch on the video a little bit more from Gamescom? If there's anything you want to say about it, yes. Because um, I'm not. You haven't said anything about it. Just uh, coming to think of it, that uh, at the very beginning, Ethereal and I had a and one of a, a few other paladins had a talk about the nebula yeah. in the background, and we came to the conclusion that it's either. Uh, Seagull Nebula, California Nebula, or a uh, 
because many people suggested it with heart and soul, and that these three nebulas pretty much were the uh, go-to points for us, and so we spread out and just had a look around where could it be, which would suit the location. It's pretty interesting that this planet here, if you, hang on, can you see it from right now? Uh, you can't see it from this from this position, but the uh, California Nebula is pretty much in the perfect spot for the whole video to be staged and uh, forgetting about the sun and forgetting about the uh, the whole nebula part, which could also just be a reflection or just gases coming out of one ship. It could be the place where that attack was staged, which I find rather interesting. In, in some way, and uh, yeah, for sus- suspicions, you know. <laughs> I mean, I know that there's been a lot of talk about the California Nebula being one of the potential hotspots, and actually, Nebula probably come into our idea of you know, maybe these whatever they are like to chew on star stuff. <laughs> you know, there's there's lots of Nebula, and ga- there's lots of. There's a lot more material, shall we say, for them to chew on in a nebula cloud than there is in the pure vacuum of space. Yeah, I think there are three planetary nebulas alone in the uh, Pleiades region. Yeah. Or four, even. Well, barnacles have been found in, in the California nebula, nebula yep. as well, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. So. Yep, they have. Around, pretty much around that region, but nowhere outside in any other nebula, as far as I'm aware. Just mm. uh, around which had... Uh, Barnacle, uh, Barnard's Loop, uh, California Nebula, etc. Yep. Uh, is there anything else that you guys are wanting to say about these, whatever they are, before we <laughs> go for an advert break and then move on to our next topic? Maybe just mention a uh, huge, huge thanks, of course, to uh, Canon Research Group for openly sharing uh, every clue and every sort of uh, decipher they have had not only to grief us sadly because they're on the discord as well but also with us so we could advance as well and keep track of everything so big big thanks to them good job yeah. out there much keep love to the canon guys keep tracking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right well chris how about we go to a quick advert break and then when we'll come back we'll talk about making loads of money from community goals He was a space pirate with quirky habits. Hi. Most people find me quirky. I don't eat in front of people. She was a busy space liner captain with no time for love. I've got 50 passengers to take on a space whale watching tour. I don't have time for dating. But when fate throws them together, the result is pretty inevitable. You're like no man I've ever met. Forget my job, ship and crew. Where should we go for a date? It better not be a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) From Sydney and Dreams Entertainments comes a new total immersion experience. It was incredible. I just put on the headset and it's like I was there in the story. Using Sydney and Dreams' patented Dreamwear immersion headsets, you'll feel the love. It was like I could feel everything that lucky ship captain was feeling. You'll feel the passion. Let's just say, when they got off, I got off. You'll feel everything. Did you enjoy your meal? Ooh, I don't think I should have had that raw seafood. Signy and Dream Entertainments and Dreamwear headsets, bringing you closer to the adventure. Signy and Dream Entertainments is a division of Signy and Dream Military Educational Software. Combat training software also available. 
Please be aware that improper use of the Dreamwear headset may lead to psychosis, time loss, memory impairment and hallucination. So recently we've had Community Goals giving us quite a large amount of money. So, you know, it's in like 100, bil- 100 million credits or above kind of figures. You know, a lot, of, a, yes. lot a lot of money. So, you know, the ones we've had narcotics for Logan Cole, which was one of the I'm looking for clues one uh, clues that was given out. So that was well, that was completed in under a day, I guess, was it, guys? It was pretty much one day, yeah. Um, and the top 10% of commanders got over, were getting me? 100 million credits <laughs> for <laughs> making, you know, for handing in their, was it? Whatever that was, I can't, was it alcohol for that one? Hey, tobacco. It was narcotics. So, yeah, so a lot of money, you know, 100 million credits for that one. The Jack CG, even though it's not, we're only on tier 6 out of 8 at the moment, uh, the top 10 are getting 40 million, which, you know, compared to 100 million is nothing, but it's still quite a large payout for other, compared to earlier CGs. But then the whale of it was the imperial warships where the top four commanders were getting half a billion credits for building an imperial warship and yeah. the top 10 percent were getting just over 300 300 million um million well, credits is, yes yeah three over 330 million credits yeah so you know as to, to coin a phrase i could practically buy my own ship for that well, and it'd be a bloody nice ship. Yeah, and they're also, but I must admit, they have highlighted in the support features that they are now investigating the rewards from some of the community goals. So I'm wondering whether or not there has been a bit of a cock-up, and that the, especially in the Imperial Shipyard one, that um, they've overpaid by maybe... <laughs> we should have got ten percent. Yeah, factor of ten. <laughs> Maybe a decimal point has been moved somewhere. But um, <laughs> we're applying Stradian mathematics to it, are we? Yeah. Um, the problem is, is of I've I've I got one hundred and thirty eight million credits for just doing two runs of my T nine. Wow. <laughs> I know, and I've gone and spent it all. So um, I'll be I'm going to be in trouble if they, they decide. Oh, we gave you too I much money. I don't think they can get away with pulling it all, to be honest. Yeah, I could see them saying, yes, it was a cock-up, but we, you can keep your money. Because they can't go and say, sorry, but you know that 500 million that we gave you, sorry, bank error's not in your favour, take it back again. Um, it, it's rather interesting for me that um, uh, the, the amount of money... Uh, if you say they're investigating will most likely be a bug because I was actually suspecting that they wanted to prepare us for something. Uh, I was suspecting they are trying to prepare us for some sort of war and uh, just giving us loads of money to actually be able to afford the rebuys, kit out our ships uh, accordingly, (laughs) etc. Because um, I made 400 million by doing uh, not even uh, 15 runs in my Kürze. 400 million in one day. So... That's that very good for my balance. Crazy, crazy money. So I did four runs on the Imperial. Just, it just made the uh, the two hundred twenty million mark and uh, got eighty million out of the narcotics one. Just profit, profit wise, and one hundred million then pay out in the end. So that's uh, wonderful. 
amount of money for me. Very, very happy about that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Frontier. I mean, yeah, I almost hope, apart from the fact that I've not made a single penny of this, oh. that it is a decimal point error. Because otherwise, yeah, I was wondering the same as you, that yeah, it's, it's like in any video game that you ever play, you know, they start kitting you up. Like, oh, I've, I've been playing Doom you know, relatively recently, and frankly, I always get worried whenever I go into an area and there's a whole load of health crates and armor and weapons, because you know <laughs> that the next room you're going to walk into is going to be a great big baddie boss fight, which is going to kick your butt. So, yeah. I was wondering if we're going to be falling down this line. Yeah, I mean, what do they want us all to have? And a war anacondas all ready to, to await the Thargoid threat? <laughs> are we going more, to... You mean more mostly harmless and harmless anacondas trying to fight off aliens with a completely overpowered ships and weaponry? <laughs> and, Is that and, what you're saying? <laughs> I got a sneaky suspicion if the ships that are coming in here, we've already seen the wreckage and the damage. I think we're going to probably need a lot of rebuys. Yeah, if that is the scout ship, I don't want to meet the warships. Just let's put it that way, all right? <laughs> yeah. Not, we haven't had any confirmation from Frontier that that's a scout ship. We just know that that's just a, a community theory, isn't it? It's a community theory based hmm. on... Not sure if I should say that, but based on some code someone has found at some point, <laughs> that was uh, okay. something like a uh, alien scout ship or something. I know Ethereal actually showed that to me. Yeah, so somebody's been decompiling the game and noticed some artifacts for scout ships, have they? Yeah, it probably. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me. Just saying, was not me. Not able to do something like that. Not an IT specialist. <laughs> yes. All right. But ethereal? I said nor I, sorry. Okay. <laughs> yes. So but, but obviously there are people who are able to look at the game's source code and say, "Ah, oh, that looks interesting. What's that saying?" <laughs> and you know, I think we know from uh, we, well we know that for example there are clippings of text that look quite interesting all the way back from version 1 that we have not actually found yet as a community. Um, I think Karash was saying this on his stream on Thursday night, actually, that people have you know gone off and decompiled the game and had a look and seen things that they maybe shouldn't have seen, have but we seen don't know all. what they refer to. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's just giving us these little clues, but we don't know what they're actually trying to tell us. Yep. It's just something, some text that makes very little sense, but is enough to be what the heck's that about? If if you think about it, someone on the Galactic Academy Discord channel pointed out today that apparently, or should I say allegedly, the uh, Alien Scout wreck was in since 2.0. Yep, that uh, wouldn't surprise me yeah. massively, yeah. So, yeah, we we took a long time to discover it, but in the end we made it here. Oh, there we'll are find everything of, at some point. <laughs> there are a lot of things in the game that still, I mean, we that are still not been found. For example, you've got this whole missing stuff, which yeah, that was true. alluded to at the beginning of season two. There was also um, the galnet, the 
article about it, yep. I think, a week ago. Yeah, and as far as I'm aware, none of that's been found yet. And no. by by obvious reasons, I mean, Jarvis, am I right in thinking that all these like um, generation ships were basically sublight? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's my understanding. They were sublight. So those things, by definition, can only be in a thousand ge- a thousand light year bubble from Sol. Yeah, I mean, certainly for my story for the uh, anthology, I asked Michael mm-hmm. for a location that a generation ship could have got to in about, um, I suppose, 800 years or so, and it, it, it's not yeah. very far out from the core. It's well within yeah, the I mean, bubble. I mean, so, oh, I'd imagine you know, somewhere sort of 700-ish light years away from Sol seems quite reasonable to me. Uh, let me... I don't know how... I don't know where your your planet is, but yeah, no, I forgot the name of it because it's all numbers. Um, but I can find it by name. Um, and we haven't bookmarked it. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't bookmarked it, to be honest. When I first went and looked at it, we didn't have bookmarks. Ah. <laughs> Another oh. thing that I would expect would be these systems that the the generation ships were going to would also probably be stars which are at least likely to have Earth-like worlds around them that we would be able to tell and possibly, you know, we should be able to see these stars with our own techn- with our own telescopes from today. So, ship stars that we're thinking of you know, hey, maybe there's an Earth-like world in Alpha Centauri, yeah, Alpha Cent- well, Alpha, Alpha Proxima might be a good idea to send a generation ship. So there's there's things I suspect that we could be using from even now to yeah. give us suggestions. I mean, you've got a point there, but on the other hand, there is uh, four billion systems out there roundabout, and I've mm. uh, had I've had it out in the Sidewinder, and I'm now around eight thousand light years away, and I've already discovered on my very very short journey i've already discovered i think four earth-like worlds or something just by yeah. accident so imagine the sheer number of earth-like worlds just outside the bubble maybe like 700 800 light, oh. light years out in that radius you will find hundreds and hundreds of earth-like worlds oh def- definitely i mean there's definitely hundreds of light worlds but yeah and that's why yeah, you know, it's a needle in a haystack but pretty much yeah <laughs> It's a needle in a haystack that's only, in inverted commas, a thousand light years <laughs> in wide, or two thousand light years wide. He's so suggesting it, we go out there, honk every system that could contain an Earth-like world and just find them by accident. Is that what you mean? You know, that, that's basically how people have found some things, you know, potentially. You know, we, we had a vague idea where this was, but you know, we essentially stumbled upon this and we essentially stumbled upon jacks you know so it blind luck does seem to happen sometimes um, this is one of the things that interests me because because you were saying that the alien scout ship you know has supposedly been in the code since 2.0 now mm. does that mean that that wreckage has always been on that planet's surface and it's required this treasure hunt to actually go and locate it. I mean, could somebody have stumbled across it by accident? Or do we think the yes. here have only put this here since this last weekend? Um, no, no. I, I, I was under the impression that it has been in here from 2.0 and everybody has been sort of milling about close to it. But, you know, it, it's 
The planet is a very to, big place. Yeah, well, I tried, first trying to find the barnacles um, because if I didn't, as if I hadn't seen where that um, that federal battle cruiser was, I would have had no chance of finding it. Yeah, I, I mean, the barnacles really are a lot of small, rather small structures. Yeah, you can I mean, yeah. you can, you can actually see this from. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. You can see from quite a way off. <laughs> I was quite amazed when we were actually approaching people who have watched the uh, the Twitch stream will have actually seen. You can see this scout ship from about a hundred kilometers away. Yeah, it's pretty so, far away, so you can't. You have got a chance to find it, but you have to be at the right location. So when we were searching for it the first time, Ethereum and I were completely stumped, or everyone was actually stumbling, basically in the back, in the black, trying to find it by some kind of inverting the second, uh, the longitude, I think it is, or latitude. Mm. You can never yeah. remember which the second one is. Um, uh, just inverting it, uh, trying to subtract something from it, just getting, maybe someone also suggested just going on the minus 26 uh, line, just maybe po something popping up. And uh, someone has then found it just by flying around, so it was also by milling around. But... Uh, just the sheer amount. If we, if you don't know what you're searching for, every landable planet in this system alone has got, I think, nine or ten landable planets. You, you cannot search that if you just, uh, if you don't mill around and just suddenly stumble upon it. So is this, um, is this anything to do with? Um, obviously, a while ago we had the image that had been created from listening to a particular sound wave that was in the. I think in the video. Is it in the video or is it on I, somebody's scanner? This isn't anything... To, you're talking about the pizza slice thing. Yes. <laughs> this isn't part of that. Um, I don't think this is, is it? There Cause were I'm, suggestions that it is in combination... Something has to do with the barnacles and was just discovered. Um, and no, Ethereal, can you try to elaborate and explain... What well, has been found? Yeah, the unknown probe signal. The well, pizza yeah, slice, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> well, with regards with regards to the probes, again, you know, credit entirely to Canada's. Uh, I looked at the information, and basically what they found out was that when you scan, obviously you guys probably saw the video with uh, everybody, his brother seen the video where they, the guy scanned the probe, and it messed with the heads up display on the ship, and then it made a bunch of fucking sounds. Well, they found out that if you scan the probe in different systems, it makes different sounds. And through some crazy mathematical lizardry, they managed to figure out that there are basically four sets, no, sorry, five sets of information coming from the probe. You've got, I think it's size of the, size of the planet, radius, temperature, and atmospheric pairings, I guess. And then there's the fifth one, which is distance. And I guess they figured out distance relative to Marote, because when you scan the probe in Marote, I mean, uh, around 5C, it, all of the, uh, all the little numbers come out to one. And they managed to then figure out that there's a system in a permit lock sector where if you scan the probe around some of the some of the uh, some of the uh, the neighboring systems that aren't permit locked, that number is much closer to zero, and it's speculated that something is transmitting to Maru 
from a different location. So the idea is if you find zero, you find the origin. Right. Didn't they find it and it's actually a, a permit-bound system? Yes, a it is. Ah, yes. So I've been... Yes. Oh, be afraid so now, again. Now we... <laughs> Well, here's something interesting. I've been driving about, and it does turn out that um, when driving around with the buggy, the wreckage doesn't seem to appear on the SRV scanner. I mean, uh, I've been fly- I've been driving about. I've got everybody else's ship, but yeah. it doesn't seem to register anything because you drive past it and you you're picking up other other things such as um, uh, it, it's minerals and outcrops beyond there. But oh, hello. I might be wrong there, but yeah, it'd I'm be interesting actually in dropping into dropping into solo play and dismissing your ship and seeing what is there. Um, I suppose. I I think why you don't have anything on your scanner is because having something on your scanner would require some sort of feedback, wouldn't it? So mm. some kind of energy source or special metal, uh, which even strongly would suge- suggest that this is organic and not actually me- metallic. At the same time, I'm not sure if uh, if any of you guys have noticed, but like, if you're driving around the wreck site, mm-hmm. you drive around, you hit certain areas, and all of a sudden you hear this, I guess it can only be described as some kind of like a crackling sound, like a crackling hiss, and then you drive away from the wreckage and it goes away. You get closer to the wreckage in certain parts of the wreckage and it comes back. So it's no, not I haven't actually that. noticed that. No, I'm going to have to go back and closer and have a look. Like you get, Do you, you get know close. if anyone's... I'm assuming the Canon guys like that are evaluating these sounds. Oh, I'm sure of it, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think someone already got a clear reading of that, if I remember correctly, reading something in our research channel. Yeah, one of our guys got a, uh, a recording of this static, he called it, and he did a spectrogram, and he's... It looks to right, have some sort of pattern in there. Mm-hmm. But it's. I think people are still working on it. So you can expect anyway. it in there. Yeah. Go ahead. Anyway, Chris, you wanted to come ahead? Yeah, I wanted to play devil's advocate for a minute before we wrap up. Because, you know, all this kind of... This, the treasure hunt and the plot stuff is, is really interesting. One of the things that strikes me about it, as someone who is kind of very much on the outside of it... I mean, I was... You know, say say for the sake of argument, you know, I really wanted to join in with it. And the the day of this this you know great hunt on the twenty eighth, you know, I happened to be you know happened to be busy, which I was. I was away. Um, mm. One of the things that one of the things that gets me about about elements like this, and it's one of the things that we talked about really on in the podcast with um, having plot in a multiplayer environment. Doesn't it seem that this is an awful lot of game for actually a very small number of players to be taking part in and contributing to? Because, I mean, essentially, if you're the kind of, you know, I want to say, you know, not that you're the second or third person on the scene, because clearly the second or third person on the scene, you know, still has quite a lot to contribute. But, I mean, my point is, given the the, the amount of people who play Elite Dangerous, the vast majority of players are going to come to this stuff after everybody else has found it and everybody else has solved it and everybody else has done the kind of plot bit. 
what I mean, what value do we think there is? I mean, it's very exciting, and it's really it's great to come across this stuff and see the things that f- figured out. But in terms of gameplay for the entire Elite Dangerous community, is do we not think that this is this is actually quite a lot of stuff for a very small group of players to actually get something from? Well, you see, this is the problem when you've got MMOs because you end up with um, either events. This is what we used to call an event. Um, used to have events where what would happen is that members of staff would actually go online and create an event, which is what happened here, because I do believe that the ships in question were piloted by uh, Frontier people. Yes. Uh, okay. and, and basically, in this case, yes, it's it's an event, but a lot of people log on at the same time and try and join in. Or you then you end up, unfortunately, with a whole load of theme park ideas where everybody joins in the same event but it's repeated again and again and again and you kind of lose that realism because you know that kind of thing happens i think um in this case it's worked because it's gone and energized the community where um you know and fair play to the guys that discovered it first but um the fact that the community was all out there looking for it and it, it galvanized a lot of people. I thought that that was really good. But unlike you, um, I had family stuff. I couldn't actually join in. I'd, and But I was watching the forums with with uh, bated breath. And I must admit, when the red herring thing came up, I did laugh quite hard. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, go, I mean, Alan's not here, so he can't mention LARP. Uh, but in, in deference to Alan not being here, there used to be a concept in, in you know, LARP of there being certain players and certain player characters that were known as kind of plot soaks. Because the plot team would work very hard to put stories together that they would put out into the player community for players to react to and get a lot out of. But what was actually happening on the ground is the same handful of people were actually intercepting those plot points and kind of doing it themselves or making it part of their own you know, kind of play thing. And, and I feel kind of bad because I've got you guys here and it sounds like I'm criticising you guys for being at the forefront of the kind of research and figuring out this stuff. But I'm just looking at it from the point of view of the, the however many hundreds of thousands of really dangerous players there are, that actually this isn't necessarily gameplay for the masses of elite dangerous players. This is gameplay for the top the very, very top 1% of players and actually okay, the, the effects and the results then are kind of enjoyed by everybody. Because now everybody can go and see this wreckage and, and that's great and that's fun and that's exciting. But the actual gameplay in terms of going and finding it... Again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Um, but what do you guys think of that? Well, Chris, I would be asking... You know, okay, so in real world we've got the gameplay of, let's say, the Egyptian stuff, of deciphering things and finding the uh, Rosetta Stone and so on. But thousands of people still go to see the pyramids every year. That's... It's, it's yes, okay, it's a bit of gameplay and things for a couple of days, but that's that happens for all the community goals. That's an interesting, that's an interesting comparison, And then though, it's... <laughs> And then it's, and then it's going to be there for everybody else for all time. You know, people still go back to see the unknown artifacts. People can still go and see this ship in probably five months, six months' time as well. Yeah, but yeah, but those anyway. are weird. And, no, sorry, those, I just want to say that Ben, those, those are weird analogies because in terms of you talk about something like the pyramids, the people who put the pyramids there 
didn't put them there for the benefit of archaeologists and for people to go and find them. No, they didn't put them there again, for their own reason. In, yeah, but know. the Thargoids didn't crash land their ship there for for us either. They, you know, they just no, crash landed their ship because something went wrong. Ben, Ben, Thargoids, anyway, Tilly, didn't, you Thargoids didn't crash their ship anywhere yeah. at all. What I'm talking about yeah. is Frontier as a games company <laughs> have put this stuff out here for players' entertainment. Yeah. And all I'm doing is, as, as devil's advocate, I'm asking how much of the player base does the plot and the way that Frontier are injecting the plot, how many people does it does it actually benefit? You're playing devil's advocate. I will will counter your question with another question. How many of the player base is actually interested in anything else but combat? Or trading or whatever else. Yeah, Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Most most of the player base of Elite Dangerous is is focused on combat. Many many just come around and do... We've got one Impelling Consortium who did nothing but combat for, for... all the time she's been playing, she's collected 700 millions of credits, I believe, up until now, bounty hunting and combat zoning. That's it. She hasn't done anything else. So there are many people out there that are very combat-focused in this game because it is advertised and many people stated mm-hmm. combat is the most fun and the most gameplay-involving part of the game. Now, I ask you, how many of the players are actually interested in coming out here, coming thousands of light years? Well, in this case, not, but... Uh, several light years out of the bubble and actually looking at something like this. Yeah, so that's a really interesting observation. And I wonder if it's, you know, one of the things that Frontier... Because, you know, whenever we talk to Frontier about the, the content that they put in the game and how they're trying to engage people, you know, they're, they're very keen to talk about how they want to get players engaging with things outside of their normal... Uh, you know, experience. So when we did, you know, when we did episode 100 and we interviewed David Rabin, we kind of, we were sort of talking to him about the accusation that Elite Dangerous is very wide but very shallow. And what what David said was that when they actually look at the stats for what players do, as you say, they found that an awful lot of players tend to do exactly the same things over and over again. They only fly to the you know the same systems they only do the same things so actually a lot of the criticisms that the game was a bit grindy were coming from people who played it in a really grindy way and didn't necessarily do stuff outside their comfort zone so i wonder if you know there's an element of this like so for instance with 2.2 the whole passenger tourist missions thing coming in what happens if they're going to include you know, are they going to include passenger missions of rich tourists saying i really want to go and see the crashed thargoid ship you know, is that going to be something that's going to be bringing people out? Um, I, I, I do think that's a really interesting observation that, that as you say, an awful, an awful lot of people in any game, because actually in my comparison with LARP, there are an awful lot of people who go to LARP events who only turn up to fight and they don't actually get involved in character plot or they don't get involved in story plot. Um, but I'm just wondering if, as I say, the... The, the way this has been presented, I think it's been a really interesting treasure hunt, but because of the way the hive mind of the internet works, once a person has broken it, everybody else kind of knows it. So there's actually a very limited, um, in some respects, there's a very limited appeal for this kind of, you know, for this kind of event, because as I say, in a sense... 
the gameplay is only for the first person that figures it out and posts it. I mean, obviously, that's not that's not the whole thing because part of it is the kind of the thrill of the treasure hunt, you know, and all of those kind of things. And I get that, but I'm just I'm just kind of putting that out there as to whether this is an effective way to fill what some of people feels is is the the kind of hole in the game plot. Well, um, I have to counter that because there's. Uh... There's a point from the uh, from the Twitch chats where Buff and Grind says, well, even if players don't participate in the actual treasure hunt, they're actually interested and they're following it along as it proceeds. I know I was. Yeah. I, I still felt engaged by the game even though I wasn't actually playing it. And when the, when the crash ship was actually found this uh, this afternoon, and <laughs> I almost punched the air, but then remembered at work, and I didn't think that would go down very well. So... Um, <laughs> You do get a level of engagement even though you're not engaged in the hunt. And on that note, the <laughs> Artico- the Thargoid or whatever it is ship is available to be found in the Pleiades sector AB Mark W B2-4 Planet 9A um, at... Coordinates, coordinates minus 2698. Yep, at 2698. Minus so, 2698. Right, yes, minus 2698. So, Sorry. Yep, no, that's fine. So very quickly, moving on, we've got a couple of announcements that need to, well, that should be made. So the Colonial Citizens Network was born out of the August Exodus. It's a John Jacks expedition from July, August 3302. And the CCN Discord Communication Hub is a place for those dedicated to working in and around the Colonial Nebula, helping establish the first human colony beyond the frontier borders. It's hoped that the Communication Hub will help bring together the fledgling community and encourage CG cooperation, joint ventures, projects, and provide entertainment and be a great source of information of all developing colonial affairs. So... Basically, it's a disco- it's a group of commanders on the Discord channel trying to coordinate everything and anything that's happening in and around the Jacks area. I, th- I think that's a good idea, and th- I know from my experience, the guys who were organised the John to Jacks were really nice, helpful guys. I-, I know this has happened in the Pleiades, but I've got a feeling something is going to happen around Jacks. And that's the main reason why I'm sticking out here. I've got a bad feeling something's going to happen here at some point soon. We do know something after 2.2. Well, yeah, we we know that something's happening in 2.2. But I, I've got a feeling something's something's going to be around Jack's neck of the woods. You know, whether it's Jack's, is, shall we say, an expendable region of space where things can maybe go missing as opposed to going in Sol. No idea, but I've just got a bad feeling something's going to happen here personally, but thats I can't justify that for any reason. And one other thing that I really do want to mention very, very quickly is something called ED Polygon, which was announced and released the other day, and basically somebody's gone off and taken a bunch of the models from Elite Dangerous and put them into the Unreal 4 engine, and you can actually download this little game where you're running around in the Unreal 4 engine, walking around or flying around um, our ships, and it gives a massive sense of how large these things are. I mean, you know, you think they're large when you're walking around in your SRV, 
but actually getting out and looking up at these things, they are humongous. Um, and I was going to actually show some of that um, earlier, but I've been t- having too much fun flying around, so tough. Um, <laughs> but it's also, it's also fun running around a base in Elite playing Unreal if you want to. And it's it's free and it's open source forever. I think it's open source. It's free for anyone to download anyway. And I'll include links to that in the show notes. Um, we've got a couple of questions that we'd like for people to ask, to answer later on. And Chris, do you want to just introduce us to that? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying that, um, you know, obviously what I was saying about um, the, the the treasure hunt, whether it's inclusive or not very inclusive, you know, for the broader player base. Uh, I'm just interested to know what people think about that. So, you know, if you've got any thoughts on it, if you've listened to the podcast and you want to kind of chip in with, with your thoughts, um, you can contact us at the usual place. We're on facebook.com forward slash lave radio. Um, we are at lave radio on Twitter. We've got info at lave radio.com as an email, haven't we? We do indeed, and we're also on Discord, and some of us are even on TeamSpeak sometimes. Yeah, you won't sometimes. find me on those. <laughs> get under your rock again, Chris. Yeah. Um, yes, get back under your rock. Yeah, Chris Rock, right. There, there, yeah. is, an here, right? Yeah. there is an interesting question in here, though. A uh, question from somebody, or it doesn't say who it is. Oh, is that the person's name at the top, Graham? Yes, Alex. it does. That's the person's name at the top. Awesome. Totally uh, yep. Hi, guys. Quick question. Are updates, new features being added quickly enough, or are you concerned the timeline has slipped? Well, we have we have sort of talked about this a bit in the past, um, and I know that things have taken longer than Frontier originally anticipated i mean 2.1 was delivered later than they anticipated i imagine that's had a knock-on effect to 2.2 we we have briefly we have briefly previously discussed the fact that everyone's been assuming that a season of lay of um a season of lay radio a season of elite dangerous is a year and that we would get elite dangerous you know season three this christmas um Frontier have, have kind of hinted previously that they've never said that a season was necessarily a calendar year, so I think there's a hint there that whatever 3.0 is, I don't think we'll see it this year. I think three point. I think I can see season two actually ending up being a full two years, if you, if you want my honest opinion. Um, it might be sooner than that, but... I wouldn't be at all surprised if it maybe three comes out maybe next summer kind of time. Maybe. Um, that, that's it's, my thoughts. It's not necessarily... We'll it's a case of whether or not the summer is a good or a bad time to release a game. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll cover that. I'm sure we'll cover that a lot more as the end of the year comes around and we've got, particularly when we've got visibility of 2.3. Uh, from my point of view, in terms of whether or not we are concerned about it, I mean, in a sense, um, I'm, I'm happy to just kind of play the game you know, as Frontier releasing it. To be honest, we've got to a stage because things have been so busy. Maybe it's the time of the year with LaveCon and me trying to get Escape Velocity back on the air. Um, I'm actually personally finding that Frontier are releasing content faster than I can play the game <laughs> at the moment. Um, but I don't know what you guys think. Uh, Nayatra, what do you think? Uh, well, I uh, it may be probably a bit offensive to some people, but I, uh, I, do, I just want to... Uh, just state that I'm actually quite happy with Frontier taking that time with releasing contents, even though for some it might be faster than for others, but just delaying seasons that they're actually, uh, how, how could you say that, they're brave enough to do that, because there are many companies out there rushing content, and then what you always have is got uh, the other side of the players complaining about content not being, uh, not being uh, 
well developed enough buggy whatever not not too shallow not deep enough and i really appreciate that frontier have got the bravery of saying no we are gonna delay that by three months as it was with the engineers and still even though they delayed it it was still uh not really come 100 ready to be released because there are still bugs in but i'm i'm really just happy that they are brave enough to delay that and i wanted to 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 give them a credit for that not just rushing content speaking of software engineers there are sadly always bugs in anything more complicated than hello world yeah it'd be interesting to know if graham lennox is a um is a lifetime updates supporter because in some respects it's it's very much a kind of I suppose a lifetime supporters thing to be like, I want Frontier to move on and keep bringing out new things. Whereas actually from the point of view, if you've got someone who maybe bought Elite Dangerous and since then has had to buy Elite Horizons to carry, to kind of, to keep up, uh, in some respects, you know, yearly releases don't always go down too well with gamers. So maybe people would be happier to get 18 months or even two years out of a particular purchase rather than, you know, a faster upgrade cycle. No idea, but... Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know I yeah, I've got a lifetime upgrade and I'm very happy with things they come out when they come out. Yeah, totally. And we get we get what we get. Um you know, I'm guessing do you guys have lifetime upgrades, Nat or Ethereum? No, I haven't and I'm happy to pay for everything they throw at me. Uh I love the game up until now and I am always hyped usually. Let not say always, but usually hyped for new content. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. I'm. Uh, I will gladly, you know, shell out because I love the game and I love to support the company and I like the fact that you know these guys are a very ethical bunch of people, at least you know in my opinion, and they do what they do for the sake of the community. I'm with them until the end, pretty much. And on that very positive note, I think unless anybody's got any final last words they want to chime in. We'll wrap it up there. I better not. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in to the after show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, well, in that case then, that's it for another episode of Lave Radio. If you like, you can get in touch with the show at email on info at laveradio.com. As Chris mentioned a few minutes ago, we are also on Facebook on slash laveradio. We're on Twitter, where we are at Lave Radio. You can also join us on Discord to chat by going to tinyurl slash url slash Lave Radio. And we're also on TeamSpeak at teamspeak.laveradio.com. Lave Radio is recorded live on Tuesday evenings at 8.30 and we're streamed out at uh, http colon slash slash laveradio.com slash live. Thank you very much to... Chris, to Colin, to Natra, to Evenstar, and a final massive, massive hugs and all of our love go with you to Grant and to his brother Simuth on the sad passing of their nan yesterday, I believe it was. And I'm sure you guys all want to echo into that as well, yeah? Oh, without doubt. No, definitely. So, on that sad note, you know, we love you, Grant. We're thinking of you. And until next time, fly safe. And if you can't do that, fly dangerous.
Thank you. 